Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Let me start off firstly by welcoming you onto the, the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I don't know who wants to kick off. Maybe it's the first time in a long time I've had more than one person to talk to. So I'll leave it to you to decide who does the intro first or, or you can take team. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Good to hear about you guys and your company. Cool. So, yeah. Um, so I'm Ian. I'm happy to uh, yep. go for first here. So Mike Wagner, CEO and co-founder of, of Metify. And uh, I guess can just to jump into a quick background if you'd like sure. and um okay so well actually maybe we'll do the the quick intros first ian go ahead and you know who are you sir sure so ian evans uh cto from metify a little bit of my background i've been in the data center space uh for a very long period of time i've worked in pretty much every vertical known to man <laughs> uh have a lot of experience in healthcare, you know, I've worked in the federal space. I've worked um, for um, integrators. Um, so yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. We we've kind of I've taken all of that uh, experience, and really, what we'll talk to you about today is is how we kind of built the product, the Medify product, around all those experiences, and really kind of owned it into something that people can consume. So yeah, real excited to talk to you today. And then um, my background a little bit, I've uh, been a computer geek since as long as I can remember, just always fascinated by the technology and whatever I could you know, build from it. So I started coding when I was in seventh grade-ish, and then started working for IBM, um, got kind of lucky with that gig, but uh, started working with IBM while still in college, well, I, I guess, you know, skill luck, whatever. And then um, from IBM, I went to Red Hat, and then Red Hat got bought by IBM again. Um, and, uh, so right, uh, right around the time that that was announced, I was in channel sales. I was running, um, a new group within Red Hat channel sales. I, I had the opportunity to help build and launch our apex partner program, which was focused on SIs and SIs in particular that knew how to build application stacks were solid with OpenShift, were solid with Ansible. Um, so guys that, you know, really understood the DevOps space. Um, mm -hmm. and frankly, the digital transformation that was really just beginning on the application side, Docker changed everything and it took a little bit to figure out how to best enable containers to do these really cool things that they can do with, um, from a velocity reliability, you know, the CICD continuous integration, continuous deployment patterns, um, mm -hmm. and, and how that can absolutely be a competitive advantage, right? So um, had a chance to be a part of that, um, kicking that off with Red Hat. And then uh, that's exactly how I met Ian. He was uh, sort of the, the top architect for the open group at uh, one of our largest SIs. And um, he showed me his thesis around uh, bare metal provisioning. And uh, I immediately knew that we were on this that he was onto something and and I would love to be a part of it so and I, you know entrepreneurially minded always you know once uh, the the IBM announced they were going to be purchasing Red Hat um and then they pivoted uh, Red Hat actually pivoted out of the product cuz IBM already had something so we uh 
realized that this would be perfectly served by a startup. And, uh, and that's what uh, created Medify. So, boom, here we are. And, and, and that, um, that gap, I would almost say, it was created. I mean, did you have something already built? Or it was a case of finding a client and building at the same time while you were flying, I guess? Well, we had a beta in mind, and Ian had it uh, sort of mentally worked out. And then we uh, did work on development a bit while at while I was with Red Hat, but it was really nascent. All right, these are these are sort of just high level ideas, and we had to force in, uh, you know, frankly, Red Hat stuff to uh, mm. make it, make it work. Ian's vision was broader and deeper and um, more open, if you will, uh, than, uh, than even an open sources, you know, and, and the Red Hat inclusion of, of uh, what we initially based the product around was a product called Manage IQ, really excellent product. It was uh, brought in as an acquisition, but, um, you know, they pivoted out of that and, and we saw, you know, always had a sort of a, a bigger vision for it that we were able to embrace 100% once we uh, launched and we really couldn't do it any other way. And it, it, it it's interesting because a lot of analysts uh, were reviewing this space and really the, the consensus always was the only way to do this is with a startup that is not tied to any of the big OEMs, you know, Hewlett Packard or Dell or Supermicro, because otherwise who would take you seriously? And, you know, the proprietary platforms are already doing similar things that we do, but just in a much more complex and sort of bloated fashion, if you will. Um, so for us, it was about making it simple. And Ian, Ian, you know, has a uh, he's worked with military, um, uh, Navy in particular in the past. And and that that simple keep it simple, stupid uh, analogy coming out of it's an old Navy saying in the U.S. here really was a guiding principle to how he wanted his vision to come together. And that's it's been an interesting that's that's another story talking about, you know, development, product development and uh, all the different shapes that that takes and, and the fights that you have to have even as a founder to to bring your vision to bear. Mm. It's really it's been a it's been a really fun and wild, wild journey. But um, yeah, yeah, we had uh, absolutely the vision in mind and, and the ability to sort of beta almost alpha test it, if you will, with some of the biggest companies on Earth. And that was the thing that really pushed us to doing this right we we had companies literally the biggest in financial services the biggest in telco the biggest in manufacturing saying wow we want to buy this but there was no product you know so what a fun pro what a really fun pro uh, problem to have right? yeah yeah good place to be so maybe Ian, since we've talked about your vision a few times let's let's hear a bit about that if you can keep yeah. it keep it layman layman yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, I think at the at the end of the day, you know, Mike Mike did talk a little bit about it, but I, I just I've used a lot of these technologies in the data center. I've used um, different automation frameworks in the data center. I just felt like everything was a little bit too complex. You know, it just there wasn't really a really good cohesive solution. There's a lot of separate tools all over the place and customers just getting really frustrated with having to use all those uh, diverse tool sets and not really get the outcomes they need from a sustainability perspective. And, you know, things like being able to control CapEx and OpEx were really a challenging thing. So as I looked at it and I looked kind of brought the vision together as like, you know, there's, there's really good opportunity to take all this, bring it into a single kind of unified framework and tool set and then allow customers of, of varying skill to be able to use it. That's the other thing that was as a vision for us is, 
you know, we we want to appeal to the developer, you know, kind of like the the nerd, if you will, that knows how to use this stuff, knows how to write all these automation scripts and frameworks and all this. But we also wanted somebody, say, at a CXO level to be able to go in, quickly go into the tool and know what it's all about and start automating stuff. So um, our vision was very broad. You know, we wanted to cover that entire organization because we understand that in order for a private data center to be successful, you really have to have the buy-in for the from the CXO level, you know, at the, the high level in the organization. So for us, that was extremely important. You know, we wanted to have um, quick acquisition of assets as an example. You know, you have a lot of different systems within all of these infrastructures, and it's it's relatively hard for organizations to identify those assets quickly and use them in an intelligent way. So one of the things we really wanted to focus on is is rapid identification of those assets. So there's less time, you know, coming through all of this this infrastructure and trying to find what you need. And the tool will be focused on really uh, identifying those as quick as possible and then getting it into the hands of the consumer to the point where they can actually uh, deploy their application stack on top of it. So like our, our whole transformation in this really was under the hood with all this infrastructure stuff like you see in the public cloud, customers don't necessarily care. They just wanted to do certain things. They want to see a result. So we saw it as an opportunity to let the customer focus more on the application and the outcomes for the business in terms of how the application is consumed and less on a lot of the very tedious aspects of uh, server provisioning that they normally experience within the data center. There's a, a huge manual effort that's required to do the things that we enable automatically um, via uh, Mojo platform. And that's that's where you know, we are working with some, some large SIs and uh, data centers the ability to focus people on things of value instead of these highly manual error prone activities is uh, is a real efficiency driver and uh, one of the core reasons why enterprises adopt our tool. And because you, you mentioned public cloud, I assume you mean the Azure's, the Google Clouds, the yeah. Amazon's of the world. Yeah, uh, and these are customers that have that are going and 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 renting service space in a data center, you know, on their own. Uh, whether they own the service or not doesn't matter, but they they don't have that layer in between, and you guys provide that layer. Is that the right understanding? A little different. So the hyperscalers have um, their offering, and they make it incredibly easy for enterprises <laughs> to spin up servers at will okay so uh, and in fact it created such a uh, it created a problem frankly for enterprises it was called the shadow it you know groups uh, <laughs> yeah. it, individual you know software groups would just grab you know some uh, some ec2 instances and and spin up servers and that caused all kinds of security problems and there were some you know rather public things that occurred but so uh, it's a real nightmare for a cxo cio cto to have to deal with that right so reigning in shadow IT. And the, and the reason it's all happening is because these uh, Amazons, these hyperscalers make it so easy. So what we what yeah. we did is we took lessons learned from the enterprise, security considerations from the enterprise, um, from working with these cu customers directly. You know, we got to be in their cold rooms and see what they're going through, see the pain points that they have. And we sort of distilled that into a 
brand new best of breed product that leverages only modern technologies and the latest open standards that frankly weren't around six years ago. So this wasn't possible more than six years ago. Okay, so the, the open standards just weren't agreed to and they weren't ubiquitous as they are now. So that's the big, the big thing that happened for us. So what, what we did is we created that layer of simplicity that the hyperscalers already have. So the hyperscalers have it. We we brought it so you could take that if you um, layer, if you will, bring it on your side of the firewall, and allow you to DIY very simply your own private clouds. And and, and really, it's it's a hybrid hybrid cloud situation. Great. So you mentioned Mojo, uh, Mojo. At least, uh, how does that differ from? From the company, or is it is is, a, is is Medify also a product, or is just Mojo the product? Yeah, no. So it's just uh, so Mojo Platform and Photon are sort of our two main products. Uh, Mojo Platform uh, is the um, the one that's gotten the most attention and has the the most inst well, yeah, the most installations and in, from an enterprise perspective. So and, and partnerships with some you know some of our big partners that we you know, rely on. Frankly, I mean they're they're really great. Um, so. Um, and, and Mojo Platform is the bare metal provisioning solution um, that is you know, what makes everything very simple and provides that cloud-like experience for enterprises from you know, five servers up to you know, 50,000. So it really doesn't matter from a scale perspective. We can go um, and, and you know, have customers that have looked at it for hundreds of thousands of, of nodes. And it, it's the cool thing about this is with the evolution of the edge, right, and with the evolution of data centers as we know it, mm -hmm. the digital workplace is driving this a lot, right? The at-home remote office situation, you know, everyone became remote overnight practically, and um, there's all sorts of considerations there that no one was ready for, and that includes security, the overall experience. What is the experience of your workers like at home? You know, trying to figure out the best possible experience while still providing the necessary security and governance over that uh, new extended office model, which used to be handled by a single router and a few servers in a particular office. Now you've got yeah. thousands, thousands of routers, right? Um, so that uh, that's a, a really interesting challenge, and um, we're still building out the infrastructure to to handle that. From a uh, this is this is a a local regional telco statement and a digital provider statement overall, right? So we've yeah. got solutions that work really nice in that space. Um, so there's some you know strong drivers of that that uh, we've built Mojo platform to be able to assist with, and then also Photon. When COVID hit, we we helped build out an infrastructure that was required for rural wireless broadband to mm. help te help teachers allow them to connect and have a good experience with their classes. Um, yeah. and that was that was right in Ian's backyard um, in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, so if you can imagine, there, there's no tougher um, environment that I can picture. Uh, I, I just, I mean, it's granite mountains with uh, lots of pine trees, um, and so dense foliage uh, with impenetrable base is is a really tough thing to deal with. So, but yeah, so it, we we learned some really cool lessons, and and that's some more IP that uh, we created um, from a, a company perspective. It was incredibly rewarding just to be able to help out during that time. But uh, now the union of those two products has, has really uh, brought us into some interesting opportunities and some really, really fun problems to solve as we, uh, as, a, as a country, 
try to address making sure that uh, everyone has the same access and um, you know equality from a technology perspective to learn and uh, do what they need to do from wherever they may be. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like a beautiful landscape that you described, the granite rocks and, and pine trees and stuff. I mean, <clears throat> I'm down in South Africa at the moment. That ruralness is a big factor. You know, if you yeah. drive into the areas and, and, and you know, the old townships and, and there they still are townships and shanty towns and, and all that kind of stuff where the local providers have provided connectivity, but there's still gaps. Um, yeah. So actually, I'd love to explore the Photon product with you guys separately just to yeah understand how that works and see if, you know, while I'm still here, connected with some people. Um, cool. While you were saying that, I was thinking about the digital workspace and we, and we didn't ask my sort of usual question and, and, you know, what does digital workspace mean to you? But I was also thinking about, usually this is a server play, but are you actually deploying end user devices as well into the cloud? <laughs> so hosting, you know, sort of virtual desktops? Yeah. So not hosting virtual desktop. Well, we actually could, but that's not an area. So I, I'll let Ian uh, go deep on this, but this is exactly where Photon and Mojo mesh. Um, and yeah. uh, Ian, Ian developed, he won't toot his own horn, so I'll, I'll do it for him here, but he developed a, a, a just a bulletproof enterprise router, but for the home. And so uh, this is, uh, I mean, it's a product we know that we could launch and um, do extremely well with right now, uh, commercially. But we're a software company, so we're kind of weighing the value, and we're we're picking our we're picking our partnerships very carefully, and uh, working in that way to uh, best take advantage of the IP that we have. Um, but uh, we've we've used it for years. Um, it's an incredible piece of really technology, and 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 in many ways, as when Ian talked about his background experiences this was this was his distillation of years of frustration and years of uh trying to get good signal through his you know rubicon of um <laughs> you know uh wireless impossibilities uh, on the mountain and uh and and the outspring of that was um was photon the photon router and it's just a it's a beast um so yeah from that you know if you want to discuss the cpe and and the full solution man might as well we got time right yeah. yeah, I mean, I'll give a yeah, definitely a, a good overview of it here. So Photon, it's, it's interesting because like Mike said, there was a lot of frustration around delivery of technology in these rural areas, right? And I was one of those people coming up in the mountain. I was, I was very frustrated, couldn't get a really good signal up here at all. You know, you're kind of stuck in these situations where you're using these monolithic hotspots and you just literally want to take it and with a hockey stick and punk, punt it down the hill, right? Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I just got to the point where, okay, there's a better way to do this. Uh, I was, you know, a DMTS at Verizon at the time. So I used a lot of this technology. It was in my daily activities and, you know, designing uh, all sorts of technologies for, you know, wireless communications and stuff. So took that uh, expertise. We built, I built a kind of a custom router footprint that was highly optimized and just started kicking the tires on it. See how it did initially. And it actually turned into something where it was, it was, it was significantly better than anything out there. And the outcomes were, were great. So we, um, so, so I uh, effectively uh, optimized it, uh, packaged it up, uh, put my own automation in it and uh, started to deliver it to a bunch of different customers in these very hard to reach areas. I mean, like Mike said, there's areas where uh, these customers have literally zero connectivity or they're in a situation where they 
are getting such low and lousy bandwidth outcomes that they just they don't want to work and they can't work from home. So mm. by enabling that, bringing the wireless service up here and then taking that and delivering it down to the customer, it was just an amazing experience to see people be able to work and see kids be able to actually do school from home rather than having to go sit in front of a library, you know, and, and work out the hotspot, right? So so it was, it, it was a good test bed for us with Mojo too, because uh, you know, like Mike said, we're we're kind of merging these products together. There's a connectivity solution there. And as we push Mojo out to the edge and we start to, to automate things um, at the edge, of course, you need some connectivity solutions for that, right? So we're taking that, we're, we're kind of stitching it in there. And then people need to do remote data center provisioning, small edge-based data centers or small um, deployments. Well, there's a great solution for that. And we're automating all that in there. Um, and, you know, we're integrating all sorts of great technologies there, like CBRS, Citizens Broadband, which is, a, you know, a, kind of like a, an open source, there's an open source element to it, but it allows companies like ourselves to be able to take uh, LTE-based technologies or 5G technologies and, and push okay. it out to the edge. So, so yeah, we're, we're very much focused on that area, and, and we, we look forward to seeing what it can do for Mojo. You know, I think it's just a great opportunity here. So just just explain to me, so, so is Photon a hardware device? Uh, it's, 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 it's like, consider it a product. It's, it's essentially a product. So it's, it is a hardware device, but it also has a custom software stack on it, but it's, it's highly optimized. Yep. So yeah, almost consider it like a deliverable type of router, but there's also a service that's kind of attached to it. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you, you have to have all the elements there to really get that customer outcome you want. So we consider yeah. Photon, the product is the connectivity is part of that. And then you have the router, then you have the software and all that comes into a nice kind of automated package um, that's delivered to the customer. I mean, one of the things I think that might be the most relatable to kind of put it in uh, frame for you. Mm. How many times have you had to push the power button on your router? because your signal is messed. Okay, so we've never had to do that. So with the, there's a, um, a self-correcting, there's automation um, that Ian has built in to essentially make that not happen. You know, um, so we've, we have devices up for, for years without a single uh, cold reboot, you know. Um, so that's the type of uh, resilience and reliability mindset that Ian approached this with and um, and he's fanatical about it I mean you know and and the cool part was inside the industry there's 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 secrets there's known secrets um, with the hyperscalers frankly right with some of the biggest and best companies they 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 know they have tricks but um, so we we took some of those tricks and and really built upon them because no one is the hyperscalers aren't leveraging this for um, home use and and that's where um, Ian really had a lot of fun, and uh, there's definitely some intellectual capital that uh, will keep us trade secrets. But uh, they're they're great, and you know we look forward to providing this. Um, it, it's definitely a better experience across the board, which is which is something that we're also trying to change the language on a little bit. Um, and it's difficult to explain mm, to I can imagine. Yeah, so it's difficult to explain to local development groups, um, state and local governments that, well, we don't need that much bandwidth. Now, it's good. We're happy to take it. And we'll certainly, you know, bring in fiber and work with fiber uh, whenever possible. Okay. So don't get me wrong. There's no, um, there's no way to replace a, a fiber connection as a beautiful thing. Even though we are beaming 
beaming up to his mountain. But that's another story. So it, it's uh, you can do a lot with wireless, but fiber is always preferred. Um, but the key is the experience for the customer. So quality of experience should be the measure, not bandwidth, because its bandwidth is often a lie. You know, you could be getting a couple hundred megabytes in but you're not getting nearly enough up. So you end up with a lot of jitter. You end up with a lot of uh, what, what are called um, uh, buffer bloat. And and it's yeah. the inefficiencies within the router itself that just cause the experience to go into the toilet. And w- what does the broadband company say to you? They say, well, on our end, it's pinging fine. You've got, we've got 200 up and, you know, or I'm sorry, 200 down and 10 up. Everything looks fine, but your experience is garbage. Right. Yeah, and 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 that's right. And I think there should never be a situation where a customer, when you you're working um, on a on a product with a, uh, delivering it to a customer, and you have a um, a quarter market, right? And you're you're trying to twist their arm into something um, that you know is not going to be very optimal for them. So like we even even though we have areas where we're literally the only provider because uh, you know for years and years and years customers couldn't get anything. We finally delivered it. And we we felt like we're going to deliver the same exact outcome to that customer that a customer that would be uh, completely served with say two or three different providers. Yeah. So they're very thankful of that. It also puts you in a good position because if you do have a competitive product that comes in a competitive a company, you know, you're viewed very favorably with that customer, you know, so you don't really have to explain a whole lot. And if you deliver, like, I think we're doing quite well. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't you have to explain, you know, too much. So yeah, yeah, we, we are extremely happy with what's uh, been delivered. The uptimes are great. Like Mike said, you know, we feel like we fixed a lot of these problems around buffer bloat and latency and um, it, that, yeah, you know, the customers are just, it's, it, we get a lot of great feedback. It's going to be it's going to be a very fun as a startup you know we um it's it's been setting Ian loose kind of on on whatever uh really interests him um in, in this particular space right and and just optimizing things and there's a lot of technology integrations that's i guess that's the piece that's been hardest and it it makes it easy to understand why this problem has persisted as long as it has because it really has to be approached from an enterprise reliability perspective um, but we didn't have this need to do it to the home. So it was yeah. kind of a solution waiting for a problem. And uh, and then COVID hit and, and this became a well-known, ubiquitous problem. <laughs> um, yeah. Was, yeah. So, yeah. So it's fun. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what we end up doing with it. And we have some very interesting partnerships established around it um, to do some huge, huge things. And, and we'll see, you know. Yeah, as I add one last thing, you know, it's, it, there's that, there's that, there's that um, kind of like almost like indus, industry arrogance. Like we we are going to tell the customer what they need and what we should deliver to them instead of asking the customer and understanding what they really need, right? So like our product is based on you know our experiences, right, which are very important, obviously, for developing the product. But we're yeah. everything that we built in is based on customer feedback. And and it could be the smallest customer at the most minute bandwidth requirement, but they still have very specific requirements. So we have made sure that we've got all that feedback and we built it into the product, you know, uh, as, as we rolled it out. So, yeah. And, and I mean, if, if you go back, you know, pre-COVID, everything was built from for the enterprise, which was almost like the Formula, Formula One racing thing where the cars were designed for Formula One and then you wait five years and it become a consumer 
product and, and that you know abs braking took five years to get to to, the, to a commercial car and, and the same sort of thing yeah yeah and i think not just COVID. i think in a lot of senses what apple was doing with with bringing out the iphone and, and uh, ipads and all that sort of stuff changed the consumer view on it because everything was just integrated and it kind of worked and there was no sort of challenges which microsoft couldn't do for a long time um mm-hmm. so they still can't do it but but that sort of raises the expectation of, of a person, you know, at home, I've got a Mac and it all just works. Then I come to work and I've got another device and it doesn't all work. You yeah. know, why is that the case? Which means everyone has to raise the game. Um, and, and, you know, your your example of the, the reboot for the route, I mean, you know, being in South Africa the last couple of months, I don't know if you guys know what load shedding is, but it's the national pastime where we turn the power off for two hours at a time um, to save the save the power generation because of of poor maintenance and a whole lot of other things but one of the frustrations with that is even with ups's and and generators and all that kind of stuff is you constantly are walking around rebooting all your mesh nodes and and routers because they are they the the power switching causes them to get out of sync and Mm. you're wasting 5 10 15 minutes at a time so to not having to do that would be actually quite productive productivity gain and and you know also when when you and I'm sitting in, at the edge of the country uh, on the on the coast uh, on a golf course, when the power goes out, my connectivity goes down because all the towers go into reduced power mode. So your your four your five G becomes four G, right? And if you're on four G, becomes three G. The fiber will work for a period of time, but then that'll also you know run out of power if the if the loading is too long. And and you know so something that that deals with that and can improve quality of experience as you mentioned is huge, hugely valuable. Especially with battery power, you know, built into it if you haven't got battery power already. Yeah, we definitely have um, some optimizations we put in around that, and um, you know, the the and we'll, I, I believe we'll probably talk about it a little bit, but a lot of the green infrastructure requirements, you know, these are things that we look at for the data center, but we also have incorporated into our photon designs as well. And because you have such uh, a minimal footprint and a lot of these new nodes are so power efficient. I mean, you're talking about things you can put in the palm of your hand, you know, you can run off five volt uh, or, you know, 12 volt DC and you're literally running off the same power adapter that you run your Android phone off of or charge your Android phone off of. So it's, so the efficiencies are there and uh, it's just a matter of, of course, designing everything in a way that it's, it's consistent with the rest of the devices in the home. So yeah, we've been tackling that. We've got a really good solution that covers all that. Oh, great. Well, that's good to hear. As I said, I still wanted to have that conversation on the side because I think it would be very interesting to see how that could apply out here. Um, I, I would love to chat about the MLB Major League Baseball stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you want to cover yeah. that? So, um, I, you know, what's cool is is perfect timing on this. They just released yesterday the new products that are being integrated into their Hawkeye solution. So I guess we'll start at the beginning here. MLB um, was introduced to us by one of the SIs that we're partnered with, uh, a group out of Canada, Toronto, Canada, called Arctic. Um, And they were the top Anthos implementer globally uh, for Google. So Google Anthos, of course, is uh, Google's container um, application platform that... um, is competitive with OpenShift and Rancher and Tanzu, VMware Tanzu. These are the uh, sort of Docker, the next generation of container orchestration and application platforms that make it very easy to uh, implement DevOps um, practices as well as 
you know, uh, really that continuous integration, continuous delivery model that, uh, or continuous deployment model that we discussed earlier. Um, so uh, when they came to us, they had this need, they wanted to move all of their uh, stadiums to bare metal. And this is covered much better than me, by the way, uh, in the Major League Baseball has a advanced uh, technology blog, a technology blog um, that's on Medium. Um, and Kevin Backman wrote a, a great article on this, uh, God, is a year and a half ago. Um, and uh, there's diagrams in there and everything else. I, it's it's just a fascinating read, um, especially for anyone, you know, that enjoys baseball and trying to understand how is this magic happening? Because MLB really led the charge from a digital perspective, right? Creating this fan experience that's, it just changed the game. It literally changed the game. I mean, you know, Moneyball, the movie was made around um, tech geeks tracking every possible outcome in every possible situation. Big data actually created, a, you know, a World Series champion. And, and that's what, uh, you know, Moneyball was all about. Right. And so um, with Major League Baseball leading the way from a, a big data perspective, uh, this was kind of a natural growth of that. And they had their systems built out and they had some really cool stuff happening for their fans. But there was always uh, ways to make it better, ways to make it more cost effective, ways to cut out travel and expenses related to having to go to the stadiums directly. Um, so they had a vision to do that. And, and critical in that was being able to remotely uh, discover, provision and manage bare metal at each of the ballparks. And that's where that's where we came in. So we were introduced. Um, they knew we had a, a platform to do that, and it it was honestly it was just a hand in glove thing. I mean, we were essentially hired and asked to put it in production in a week. Um, so wow. uh, yeah, it took uh, you know a few weeks to get her done. Uh, there's quite a few stadiums, um, but uh, it was it, that's a you know another really fun thing that we get to experience uh, here at Metify and with the solution that we have and with Mojo Platform is you, you get introduced to these different teams and they all have different skill levels and they all have different pain points that they're trying to fix, right? They all have different visions for where they want to take their technology. MLB is, so MLB has a, a separate, they have an internal consulting group, MLB Advanced Media. Um, these guys are really good. I mean, they they were their own company, and I, I I believe, and I need I really should check the history on this. I know that they were acquired by Major League Baseball and just rolled in at some point. So, you know, they recognized that hey, these guys are are good enough, and we're paying them enough. We might as well bring them in, right? Uh, as uh, you know, when you're MLB, I think you can you can make moves like that, right? Um, so, as Major League Baseball advanced media. Um, they've just done some amazing things and, you know, getting to work with that group was really uh, a, a treat in terms of professionalism and just the way they run their organization. So it's Felipe Negron, who's the uh, their vice president of IT, uh, Kevin Backman, who is the senior architect and Google Cloud fellow that uh, brought us in and, and kicked tires on Mojo Platform to get this all started. Just, you know, these guys are really good. And, and on the network side, too, they're just exceptional. So, so yeah, that's that was the challenge. Make it happen for us, guys. It was right in our wheelhouse. We knocked it out of the park, pun intended. Um, and uh, <laughs> we've been growing with them for a couple of years now. You know, so now we've got uh, some of the minor league ballparks are coming up. And there's challenges there because they're, you know, the facilities are much different and uh you know depending on what we're working with sometimes it's a it's a you know a closet sometimes it's uh you know we don't even see the sites right this is all done remotely for us so um however they 
uh, initially get the um, IPs handled. Um, once they are um, in our database, in our CMDB, we can then go out, discover, provision, and do all the things they need to do to those nodes. Um, and with, with Google as our partner on this, the initial provisioning and operating system rollout, as well as the BIOS upgrades and the integration of RAID and all that is what we, we handled. And then Anthos was layered on top of that. And we do have a service catalog, so it's you know push button, Anthos clusters, builds, uh, and and now Major League Baseball I think handle things a little differently with the Anthos cluster deployments specifically. Um, but it's one of those things where if we wanted a custom script in our service catalog, we could do that. So it would be a single push button deployment. But like I said, they're highly technical, and it's just a really good rock solid group of um, engineers over there. So I, I know they have some of their own magic that they they do as well. Um, but uh, that low level piece in particular, um, getting the bare metal ready, maintaining the bare metal. And as a as, since they're, they are a, a target in many ways, right? We are in cyber warfare right now uh, with mm. the globe, right? So from a security yeah. perspective, that's another area that we provided a lot more um, sort of robust security features that made them feel more confident in doing the things that they needed to do. And which is, uh, that's an important point, I guess, um, if I can back up for, uh, Ian has an extensive security background as well. And we built Mojo Platform really foundationally with security as our first point of engineering that we knew we had to nail. So um, mm. really feel good about uh, um, how we set that up. And, you know, we have uh, DOD designs as well and, uh, you know, worked with uh, the DOD and from a security perspective. So, you know, we've had great experience in in making sure that it's hardened and ready to take on the enterprise challenges of um, any any value um, from a target perspective, right? There's definitely some that raise high up on the on the attack surface list, if you will, of, of uh, bad actors. You know, um, you've got North Korea, Russia, um, China, really constantly attacking private enterprise now in the U S and, uh, well, and globally, mm -hmm. globally for that matter. Right. Um, yeah. Iran. So yeah, it's, it's really, uh, we, we take that very seriously. And, um, it's one of those things that, uh, I think, um, you know, Ian's background made it, uh, important for us to make sure we deeply embedded that into the product. So it's just slightly going backwards on, on the MLB stuff. You mentioned Hawkeye. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, my, my knowledge of Hawkeye is more from, the, I mean, you know, baseball, I understand, played it, et cetera. But Hawkeye was what we, what they were using in cricket to monitor the ball traveling uh, from one side to the other, arriving at the, the batsman. Is it the same technology from the hand of the pitcher to the to the catcher? It um, is. Theming of the game and, and all the rest of it as well? Exactly. So, um, so the Hawkeye system that they had in place and I'm looking right here. So they had 12 cameras total and yeah. five, five of them operated at hundred frames per second. And now they yeah. have up, upgraded those this year. And that's what the article is about. And it's by Graham Goldbeck, who is uh, one of their uh, data experts. And these guys are like physics majors. I mean, these guys are really, they, they get a wild crew of um of data <laughs> specialists and uh I, I, he's a guy i want to talk to actually so but yeah uh, it, it it the upgrade to the cameras now they made them three times as fast so i think it's 300 frames per second now yes 300 frames per second for that that group of ultra fast cameras 
And with those cameras, they can track ball spin coming off mm. the pitcher's hand. And now they're including new data points. Wow. Okay. So this, I'll just, I'm just going to read this, but fielder arm strength. So they're going to know who's got the gun, you know, taking a hot play off of, you know, third base line, zinging it over to first. So yeah, they track uh, player movement and now they'll be able to track arm strength, 3D spin axis on the ball, seam shifted wake. Oh, that's cool. So uh, <laughs> seam shifted wake, I'm assuming they're talking about the wake of the airflow behind the ball, which yeah. is directly related to how much curve you're going to get. So like one of the things that they showed was, um, I, I, I have this uh, in one of my decks to, to show customers because I do love, you know, the solution. It's just really cool. Um, the Hawkeye solution, which is then feeds into StatCast, which all is is mm. uh, on an application stack that is built upon um, uh, servers provisioned and automated and maintained by Mojo Platform. So, you know, let's, we get to be at the very base of that. Or in, in Kevin's chart, he has us at the top, kind of him, but we're really all the way on the bottom. And, uh, you know, we speak chip is kind of the uh, 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 the motto, right? I mean, we're below everything else, including the operating system. So, so yeah, this this uh, this new um, revision of of Hawkeye is going to do some really really cool stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks like it's already been applied. You ever you may have already seen some of this data feature during last year's home run derby. There you go. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's coming online um, to to the world here uh, right now. Baseball savant game day. Um, so yeah, oh, it's coming on later this month. In months and yeah okay so it's very very cool stuff but uh certainly makes you know being involved in this space even more fun right I mean, when you get to oh, work cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah and look i mean the end user experience is great too i mean you know there's no other platform that you can log into and watch any game you like it's on as long as it's obviously being played or the day before and see all sorts of interesting stats you know while they're playing um right. which you, you know no other sport has it right now um, I, yeah. Yeah. Every time you see like the, uh, well, they'll even talk about the spin live, right? So they'll, you'll see yeah. the 102 mile an hour, you know, pitch come across the plate and you're just like, oh my God, you know, how in the hell would anybody hit that thing? You know? <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what's the future hold for you guys? I mean, what, what is the plan? You mentioned Photon, you mentioned Mojo. I mean, is there another third product coming or is it really just continued on the same <laughs> trends? No, this is, this is it. Um, and, uh, and, and truly, well, you know, the, the union of the two, I think is, is the exciting thing in the future, certainly for us, but, um, Mojo, Mojo, uh, from a, we've been in almost self-imposed stealth. So we're kind of sharing some things with you that I don't even know if we've shared with anybody before, frankly, but, um, there's, um, uh, we wanted to make sure our the product was uh, essentially frictionless from a customer experience. So just like the digital experience is so important for the home, it's also incredibly yeah. important for um, directors of IT, enterprise architects, CIOs, guys that would love to check out our product. So that's a piece that we're we're finalizing now um, to make it so they can download and and use it for free on you know sure. x amount of servers. And then if they found value in that after they, you know, use it beyond a certain point, we would bring them into a subscription. But um, that's that's why we've kind of been in, in self-imposed stealth. We've done um, no marketing and uh, no sales. Essentially, we have no sales group group or anything. And now 
we we actually were just uh, funded um, by a really cool sports related venture capital company out of Green Bay, Wisconsin called Title Town Tech. So that's another thing. Gosh, yeah. Well, that hasn't been announced yet, but so really excited about that. And um, uh, they actually are funded by the Green Bay. Green Bay Packers are part of that. I'm oh, not wow. sure if you're okay. familiar with the Packers. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, very good. So uh, Green Bay Packers are part of that. Uh, Microsoft is part of that. Um, and uh, it's just a great group of guys up there. So w- with that, it enables us to do the things we wanted to do around marketing and awareness and then have some fun, you know, just have uh, continue having fun with this and expanding our use cases. Uh, and, and hopefully, uh, because we are viewed as a competitive advantage, it would be great to get uh, some more referenceable customers. But a lot of what we do is uh, a tad secretive right now. So I look forward to hopefully, uh, you know, just being able to continue doing what we're doing and and uh, make more people aware of um, how much Mojo Platform can uh, can do for them, both from a uh, efficiency optimization, green data center. You know, when you mm. uh, operate as low as us, it allows you to really um, tackle unique use cases um, and uh, apply efficiencies that were otherwise not attainable, like I said, a few years ago, without having the um, ubiquitous open standards now being adhered to, we we can enable things that just weren't uh, weren't doable before. So that's a big one. Yeah. That's just out of interest. I mean, do you have... Uh, and, and if you don't have, it's not a problem. But I was just wondering, do you have like a, a, a stat or a feel for how much more efficient or, or greener your solutions are versus, say, the market as a benchmark? Yes. Yeah, we've done modeling, right? And and so this is a lot of this is driven around our partnerships. So there's leads, uh, it's like leads efficient products that you can um, work with that greatly enhance the efficiency of a data center. Similarly, there's low voltage home solutions that you can use that will, you know, massively drive efficiencies out of the home. So in terms of lowering the carbon footprint overall, there's a number of tricks that we are um, integrating into our product and specifically the intelligence around power consumption and workload overall efficiency. We monitor all those things. So, yes, we can spin up and spin down uh, servers uh, based on specific criteria that you can build into um, uh, that we can build into the product. Um, and so, yeah, there's you know, it really just depends. I will say this, that the when talking about percentage gains, there are customers that we've worked with that have very old, power hungry, hot as hell servers. OK, so making the move into more power efficient um, footprints is a very important and necessary first step. You cannot, there's only so much you can do with the old gear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sure. yeah, so we really, uh, one of the things that we always try and um, guide and consult towards is embracing the new hardware because, you know, the, the, the efficiencies that are at uh, the chip level at the board level, they can't be reproduced any other way. We can certainly provide intelligence um, around uh, racks and rows and which ones are hot and which ones should be powered, cooled down a little bit, which workload should be shifted over to another um, cluster to to try and, you know, because that that rack is or that row is cooler. 
Um, those types of efficiencies are, are, are built into the product as part of our green data solution, green data center solution. But again, there's you, you hit a wall at some point, right? The real efficiencies are when you uh, make the investment and get in, um, I should say that a multiplier, a big multiplier is when you make the investment, get onto the newer hardware that's uh, leads compliant and, and then manage, monitor, optimize with the new stuff. That is where you get the big multiplier. So yeah, it's difficult to uh, ascribe a percentage to it because it largely depends on what you're coming off of, you know? Uh, it, yeah. Right, I can understand that. Uh, any closing thoughts, Ian? Maybe something from you to close out with? No, I think Mike covered a lot, um, a lot of it. Uh, we've got all sorts of great stuff going on. Obviously, some of these things we're, we can't completely talk about, but there's um, expect a lot of uh, enhancements, a lot of releases, a lot of areas of the market that we're going to tackle with both Mojo and Photon. We've we've got uh, a massive roadmap. We're looking forward to addressing all these things and improving customer outcomes in the data center and also kind of slaying the rural broadband space. You know, we want to continue to deliver quality service and um, disrupt. We love disruption. Yeah, great. Super. Yeah, that's a and, and yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say on on that uh, on the future front, I, I, I would be remiss not to point out the, the distributed management task force, the DMTF, the great work that they're doing with the Redfish specification and the industry wide buy in. That's these are really important groups. So these open standards organizations don't get enough credit for the the hard work that they do to um, you know keep these. Uh, well, first of all, make make the Redfish specification what it is, and having the ubiquitous. Uh, uh, acceptance around it, along with the Open Compute Project, along with Open BMC. Uh, there's just a number of really great standards groups that uh, have made this all all possible. And then that leverages the open source community to drive innovation. That was it, there's no way any single company could afford the research and development that's required to get all these APIs built. You know, figure out what's the best next thing to integrate into the project itself. And so the guys at the um, the DMTF and the Redfish um, team is just doing an extended um, ecosystem is doing a phenomenal job of you know identifying where what they should include next, what the next specification should roll in, um, and and those schemas are being built out as we speak every day. And so our roadmap is beautifully built for us by these open standards groups. And we just built this wonderful interface that makes it uh, extremely easy to flip those new abilities um, and standards into a product and, and recognize the efficiencies that you can gain out of them you know, really quickly. Fantastic. Um, it'd be good to actually get a list of those organizations from you. Yeah. Uh, some of them, I, I don't know them, so it'd be good to just Know, know of them and read up on them. Um, yeah. If someone wants to get in contact with you, I mean, what's the best best way? Uh, you know, just hit our website, metify.io, and um, you can call our, we have a you know an 800 number and as well as a demo request. You can schedule a meeting with us directly from our website. Um, so yeah, you know, multiple ways, just jump on the website or hit us on LinkedIn. Whatever, uh, whatever works out easiest for you. You know, in this in this world of uh, multi-stream media, uh, we're trying to be as present as possible out there. So, fantastic. And I'm assuming, as much as you, you've got American uh, clients we've talked about, but you're available global. You know, anyone with a data center, really, or server requirement. We are yes, and yeah, you know, we have um, some European partnerships as well, as well as uh, customers. So, uh, we love working over the pond whenever possible. And um, yeah, look forward to it. So, 
Lovely. Fantastic. Thanks very much, guys. It's been great chatting with you and I wish you all the best. And thank you for delivering the MLB experience. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. Pleasure meeting you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.